Hello and welcome to the BS History Podcast. My name is BS Dreyer and whether or not those initials are fitting, I'll let you judge. Today I wanted to share a few reflections on the pros and cons of comparative analysis and comparative studies. Because I read recently uh, this uh, very fascinating book, The Scramble for the Poles, written by Mark Nottel and Klaus Dutz. It's a very interesting book all about the Arctic and the Antarctic and the ways in which different countries, different actors um, have tried to utilize um, those areas and their potential for scientific advancement and for um, monetary gains throughout the history uh, of both places. And the book is worth a read in and of itself, for sure. Um, But it kind of also got me thinking about the way in which uh, the two authors utilize comparative analysis to kind of highlight differences and similarities between the Arctic and the Antarctic, the North Pole and the South Pole. And it got me thinking a lot about how there are so many pitfalls when it comes to comparative analysis and comparative studies, particularly when you look at history, because there is a tendency in historical writings to perhaps compare and sometimes equate things that really you can't compare and equate with one another. And the reason this happens is obviously that historians have a duty to tell histories. They have to convey to a reader, a non-historian, a layperson, so to speak, um, something about our shared past. And the best way to do that is to take a well-known, you know, point of reference and extrapolate from there if you're dealing with something that is far removed from your average reader, listener, viewer's uh, perspective. This obviously carries with it a lot of risk. Uh, The most egregious sort of comparisons made in more recent historiography, I would argue, might be the comparisons between uh, Nazis and communism, between National Socialism uh, in Germany in the 30s and 40s, and communism before that, during that same time period, and after it indeed. And it is something that happened, really, as a result of the Cold War. It was politically motivated. It was particularly in Western historiography that historians had vested interest in trying to equate the things that happened during the National Socialist uh, government with the things that were happening and had happened uh, within communist regimes. And this is not to say that there are not valid comparisons you can make in terms of uh, things such as social control and the ways in which dissidents were punished and many other aspects of National Socialism and Communism. But um, what's really interesting uh, and getting back into comparing things is that something many people don't realize in the Communist bloc, the Eastern bloc, um, the same thing was happening. 
over there, historians were comparing the ways in which the United States was dealing with race relations to the way in which uh, race relations had been dealt with in um, Nazi Germany, which is, and I think it strikes many as an obviously unfair comparison. Well, when you go back in time and ask a resident of, say, um, you know, Romania or somewhere else where the communists had taken power, whether they felt that the comparison between them and the Nazi Germany uh, was an okay comparison to make, they would say absolutely not. We were the main enemies of Nazism, which is, of course, to a large extent true. And so it just goes to show that the way in which we use comparisons can sometimes get a little bit out of hand and it can certainly stir up some real heated feelings particularly when you don't feel like that comparison is fair and so as historians uh, as more recent historians have certainly learned it's a very good idea to be careful with those comparisons and to always qualify why those comparisons might be a good idea to make and it runs further when people used to compare places like China, Vietnam and North Korea almost interchangeably. They ignored a whole host of local historical differences, differences that might seem insignificant to the outsider, particularly a Western observer, but mattered very much to the lived experiences of people in those countries. It's one of those cases where I'm not sure that a lot of people really grasp how different communism actually turned out in China, North Korea and Vietnam, even though they are uh, neighbors. Well, that is to say uh, both North Korea and Vietnam is uh, neighboring countries of China. But historical factors, actions of historical actors within those countries put all three countries on very different paths and they were never you know, clear-cut comparisons, but to a lot of Western observers, because they were Asian communist states, they were more or less the same. They would react the same and they should be dealt with the same. And that is obviously a very limited scope of uh, understanding. Of course, things have gotten a lot better in more recent times. Even so, there's still a lot of people who use comparative analysis, and I myself have indeed done it many times. Particularly because it helps not only the reader, but the writer indeed get some perspective on the subject that they're dealing with. And when you're aware of what limitations that are with comparative analysis, they do offer a way to contextualize things that is very effective and if we don't overemphasize the comparisons and don't equate things too dogmatically, then it can help us grasp things about the past that otherwise our imaginations might have a hard time kind of coming to grips with, really. An example might be the uh, Ming China explorations under the fleet Admiral Sheng He and the voyages of later European explorers, such as Vasco da Gama. Vasco da Gama was, of course, a Portuguese uh, explorer, and uh, Sheng He was an 
explorer under the uh, Ming Emperor. And he traveled to the Middle East and all the way to Africa, in fact, where um, he conducted trade and diplomacy along the way on behalf of the um, Emperor of Ming China. And similarly, the European explorers were traveling, um, particularly the Portuguese indeed, were traveling along uh, Africa and uh, across into Asia, conducting trade and diplomacy on behalf of their monarchs. So there is a fairly clear comparison between the two, although they are separated a bit in time. There's about a century between the two. And then there are some more obvious differences between the two in terms of uh, not just time and space, but uh, also technology. For one, the ships uh, looked totally different and kind of worked a little bit different too, interestingly. Uh, and although if you have heard of Shanghai, you might have heard the ships were much larger than the later European ones. Uh, a claim that comes from a much younger text, about three centuries younger than the uh, actual exploits of Shanghai. So most experts agreed that the Chinese ships couldn't have been much larger, if larger at all. Um, and uh, this is one case where comparison sort of heightened the differences, um, which can be equally a hindrance for a good understanding of history. Uh, but I digress. The voyages were still impressive displays of imperial power, both the European voyages and the Chinese voyages, um, as well as certain measure of bravery that we can perhaps say was equal and indeed greed by the uh, explorers themselves and indeed a desire for scientific advancement and knowledge collection. Um, and of course this comparison is just sort of um, from the top of my mind and very rudimentary and uh, could be done a lot more nice and concise. And there are many other areas in which we can do similar exercises in history where we can take things that look a little bit alike but are perhaps they are different in time, but not in space. Perhaps they're different in space, but not in time, or perhaps they're both, but they share some similarities that we feel we might be able to gain some more insight into both the things that we are comparing by comparing them precisely because they share some similarities that are obvious. And then sometimes some dissimilarities that are obvious and in between we can find those similarities and dissimilarities that are not immediately obvious by way of comparison. So it is a very effective tool um, in historical research and indeed in many other disciplines in uh, the humanities in particular. Comparative analysis is also sort of a good cure between the two sort of let's say very far outliers between exceptionalism and you know, thinking everything is more or less equal, uh, which I'm sure has a name uh, that escapes me right now. At any rate, it's the idea that either everything is unique or exceptional or that indeed one nation, one people, one particular situation is super unique and 
can never be compared to anything else because it is so unique and has no connection to anything else. Um, it is the sort of thinking that is behind a lot of issues and problems in even uh, local politics, not to mention geopolitics, obviously, where the kind of um, we are the only ones who've got things figured out mentality it can be really dangerous. Most recently, probably most prominently featured in the rhetoric of leaders such as Donald Trump or indeed Xi Jinping in China, where the kind of ideas that we are supposed to be number ones in the world and we are number ones by virtue of being exceptional, uh, well, that casts a pretty big shadow on the rest of the world. And perhaps equally, the idea that everything is equal, that nothing is different, ignores a whole host of very important differences that people themselves indeed use to contextualize their world and their worldview. And ignoring those differences and saying that they shouldn't be there, which, you know, that might be a very noble uh, goal in and of itself, is just a very unrealistic way of dealing with people because people are inherently a little bit illogical and very sentimental at times at least so if saying everything is equal everything can be compared is also a little bit dangerous i'd argue and this brings me sort of back to the main point that this comparative analysis can be really difficult because you have to strike that balance. And I'm not sure I've ever found the perfect balance. Well, in fact, I'm sure I never have. But I feel like the main thing is to be aware of those limitations. And in the book that I mentioned earlier, The Scramble for the Poles, the authors do a really good job of acknowledging the limitations of their comparisons. And the ways in which they might be challenged and by doing that it's very obvious that they have reflected on their thoughts and their opinions about in this case the arctic and antarctic so it's a pretty good example of how when we utilize the comparative analysis it can help us to perspectivize things not just for those we might direct our reflections onto, but indeed for ourselves, perhaps most importantly for ourselves. And uh, I think it's definitely worth thinking of the next time you find yourself comparing two places, because you might be ignoring some things that are differences, or you might be enhancing differences that might not be as big as you think they are. So. When you have that in mind, it's always easier, I find, to make for yourself a clear picture. And um, that really goes for both historical um, periods and times and eras and peoples. And it also goes for modern day current affairs type things. When you have that mindset that everything has to strike that balance between what you know and what you can have a perspective to what you can contextualize within and what other people might know that you don't and that they can have context and contextualize within. Then you're getting closer to 
kind of a more whole, a more holistic uh, view of the world. At any rate, I think that's enough philosophizing for today. Feel free to reach out with questions and comments on Twitter at bshistorypod. That's at bshistorypod. And as always, I hope that you think today's episode has had a little bit more history than BS. And thank you for listening.